diabetes. Don't get it. Ways you can prevent type 2 diabetes today. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Forrest, and today we will be discussing ways you can actually prevent the most common type of diabetes on Access Health Radio. And I'm Mike Davis. Thanks for joining us today. Let's dive right in. Dr. Forrest, board-certified family physician that you are. I know that we hear about diabetes all the time. It's fairly common, as I understand it, but uh, help me out. Exactly what is diabetes? Well, diabetes is a condition where your body either does not make enough insulin or it does not respond the way it should to insulin. And the type of diabetes where your body doesn't make insulin is called type 1 diabetes, and that's generally the type that people get when they're very young. Mostly what we're going to be talking about today is type 2 diabetes, which is the type that most people have that develops in adulthood. And with this type of diabetes, your body is still making some insulin, but the body does not lower blood sugar enough. It simply doesn't respond as well to the insulin as it used to. So that's the main thing we're going to discuss today. How would someone find out if they have diabetes or if they're at risk of getting diabetes? There are several ways to check and see if you have diabetes or if you don't have diabetes to check and see if you're sort of on your way to developing it. And uh, these are usually inexpensive tests that your physician can perform uh, that sort of help you know where you stand. And one of these is a fasting blood sugar. And that can be obtained by drawing blood or it can be obtained through a finger stick. A normal value would be less than 100. Uh, With prediabetes, where you may be moving towards diabetes, but you're not diabetic yet, that number can be anywhere between 100 and 125. But once you've got a fasting sugar over 126, you already have diabetes. A second test that can be done is where you drink a a glucose solution and the physician measures your sugar at time set after that. And this test is called a glucose tolerance test. It's not routinely used except when testing women who are pregnant. Uh, It's time consuming and it's not really as easy to, to use or follow over time. The best test by far for diabetes testing is the hemoglobin A1C. And this simple and inexpensive test gives you the best idea of where you stand relative to diabetes. It actually measures the amount of sugar that are that's stuck to your red blood cells and the really cool part about that is it can not only tell you what your blood sugar is that day but what your blood sugar has averaged over the last three months and that's really the best way to tell if you have diabetes or pre-diabetes or if your sugar's totally fine so values up to 5.6 are considered normal values of 5.7 to 6.4 are considered pre-diabetes and mean that you're really at risk or you're on your way to diabetes and values over 6.4 mean that you already have diabetes and at that point you need medical treatment Okay, so you've given us the numbers, but how do we actually find out what your hemoglobin A1C is? What's the procedure? Well, first, if you have a family physician or primary care provider, they may have already checked that number at visits like your physical. Uh, You should check with your old test results and labs, which you should have copies of, and see if you can find that number. Often I find that people have had this test done but never really had their healthcare provider discuss with them what it means. As a side note, I encourage everyone to make sure that when you have any lab work done, uh, that you get your own personal copy of this to keep for your future records. In this case, you're looking for a value spelled hemoglobin A1C or glycated hemoglobin. Sometimes it's abbreviated HGBA1C. And if you do not have any prior test results, then this is something uh, you can get at your doctor's office, and results can be available within five minutes. Uh, If it's a finger stick, 
A1C, they can usually check that within about five minutes. And if they do a blood draw, usually within 24 hours. Regardless of whether or not you have insurance, this test is very affordable and should be less than $40. Uh, at our office, for example, we don't even charge for this test for members of our practice because we think it's so important. I would recommend that people get that test at least once per year. And if it is in the prediabetes range or if it's higher than 5.6, you should get it checked at least twice a year. And if it's in the diabetic range, which is above 6.4, then a lot of times physicians want to check this about every 90 days to see you know, how your average blood sugar is doing so if you're above uh, 5.6 again that's considered pre-diabetes that's, that's right okay and 6.4 and up you're diabetic that's right all right time now for our access health tip of the week if you know that your average blood sugar 24 hours a day for the last three months, then you can also take your hemoglobin A1C number and multiply it times 20 to get an average blood sugar. So let's just use an example. If your A1C was 7, means your average blood sugar is about 140. Uh, if it's over 7, sometimes you multiply by a little higher number like 25. So if it was 10, then you'd multiply by 25, and it would mean your average blood sugar might be around 250. A lot of information coming at us today. When we return from our break, we're going to discuss how you can use your hemoglobin A1C number to help you prevent or even reverse diabetes, even without medication. This is Access Health Radio. Welcome back to Access Health Radio with board-certified family physician, Dr. Brian Forrest. I'm Mike Davis. Diabetes, that's our topic for today. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But first, we would like to acknowledge the companies that support Access Health Radio. Thanks to Marley Drug and Winston-Salem for supporting our show. They make many common generic medications available through national mail order at costs that are often much lower than even the big box pharmacies. Check them out at MarleyDrug.com. That's M-A-R-L-E-Y-D-R-U-G.com. Dr. Forrest, just a minute ago, you were telling us uh, that one of the best tests, if not the best test to, uh, for diabetes and prediabetes is hemoglobin A1C. Uh, you gave us some numbers there. W what do we do once we have those uh, numbers? Well, first of all, diabetes is one of the diseases that you can actually do a lot to treat or prevent even without medication. Um, and so this number is part of that. So it doesn't mean that at some point you might not need medication, but many people can control or reverse diabetes, especially prediabetes, through things they can do themselves. So if you have diabetes, it is really important to try to get the hemoglobin A1C under 7 uh, to be considered ideal control. And if you're in the prediabetes range and trying to prevent diabetes, you want to try to get that number under 5.7. And the closer to 5 you can get it, the better, because 5 would basically make you totally have no normal blood sugar. So what is your checklist to make your blood sugar better and to prevent diabetes? First, it's really important to have a carbohydrate budget. Think about the insulin that your body produces as the money that you have to pay to keep your blood sugar down. The more carbohydrates and sugar you eat, the more insulin your body has to spend. And although medically this is not exactly what is happening in the body, it is a good way to think about it. If you spend all of your insulin, then you won't have enough to keep your blood sugar down. What I recommend is that in general for otherwise healthy adults is that they eat no more than 150 grams of carbohydrates per day. And for those who have prediabetes, I normally tell my patients to keep their carbohydrate budget 
at or under 100 grams of carbohydrates per day. And for patients with diabetes or those having a lot of trouble controlling their sugar after meals, to limit it to 25 grams or less per meal of carbohydrates. I really like your idea of a carbohydrate budget. That's great. But my question is, how do we know how many carbs are in what we eat? And uh, could you explain the difference between sugars and carbohydrates? Well, the good news is that finding out this information is easier than it has ever been. The carbs and sugar that is contained in food is available online. It's on free apps for uh, phones uh, and on food labels. In addition, many restaurants now also will provide this information, sometimes even on the menu. There are a couple of things to consider. First of all, not all carbohydrates are bad. Carbohydrates that take a long time for your body to turn into sugar don't create as much of a burden on your insulin budget and allow time for you to burn off those carbs through activity and exercise. Many people call these complex carbohydrates. Take broccoli as an example. It contains no protein or fat and is essentially made up of fiber, carbs, and water. But your body breaks down those carbs into sugar over a matter of hours with broccoli rather than minutes, allowing your body to lower your blood sugar without a huge insulin surge. So one of the things we we focus on is the glycemic index. Some foods raise your blood sugar much faster than others. This makes sense. If you eat cotton candy, for example, your body turns it into glucose in your bloodstream almost instantly. However, if you eat an apple, it may actually have almost the same amount of carbs as a small bag of cotton candy, but your body will absorb it more slowly. And don't be fooled through thinking that all fruits and vegetables are okay. Things like watermelon, grapes, oranges, plums, and other really sweet fruits or vegetables like carrots can raise your blood sugar rather quickly as well. So we, we will have links to glycemic index uh, on the webpage at Access Health Radio that people can use for their reference. And there's also a ton of good apps out there uh, for phones. Uh, one of them is called Carb Manager, uh, but there's a ton of them out there. Broccoli has carbs. See, this is why I'm in radio and you're a doctor. I had no idea that there were carbohydrates in broccoli. Now, uh, I'm glad we're having this conversation. I'm taking notes myself. So now tell us about the difference between carbs and things like high fructose, corn syrup and sugar. What's the difference there? In general, foods that are processed and include sugar often incorporate high fructose corn syrup or pure refined sugar. And both of those can actually cause you to expend your insulin budget really quickly and should be avoided as much as possible. Labels will list total carbs, fiber, and sugars. The sugars are included in the total carbohydrates. So when you're calculating net carbs, which are the ones that are going to affect your insulin, you can actually subtract out the fiber number from the total carbs. So if you're trying to keep your total carbs and sugar under 20 grams per meal, that's the number you're going to go by is net carbs. So you take the carbs and you can subtract out the fiber. Okay, now that's helpful to know. We're talking with... Dr. Brian Forrest. He is a board-certified family physician with Access Healthcare in Apex. I'm Mike Davis. This is Access Health Radio. And of course, today we are talking about diabetes type 2 and how to prevent it. Uh, Let's shift gears a little bit. Now, I know there are medications for diabetes. What are some of the common ones? Well, for type 2 diabetes, almost all patients will take a medication called metformin, and it is very inexpensive, very effective, and has been proven to decrease hemoglobin A1C by two points. 
The main side effects with it are stomach upset, which isn't all that common, and most people can tolerate it. Uh, sometimes physicians will use a slightly more expensive extended release version to avoid this. Uh, and metformin also has the nice side effect of helping promote weight loss. Uh, there are other oral medications, uh, things called uh, DPP-4s, SGLT-2s, uh, and, and so there's also a class called sulfonylureas. Now, sulfonylureas we pretty much don't use anymore. Uh, they're really sort of outdated and have a lot more side effects than some of the more modern medicine, uh, especially hypoglycemia, which is where your blood sugar can get too low. Uh, and the rest of the medications that we'll talk about a little bit, they are a little more expensive than metformin, uh, but they are effective, but they only lower hemoglobin A1C about one point each. So just really quickly to summarize these, the DPP-4 medicines, uh, one of the common examples of that is called Genuvia. They're the best tolerated uh, family. They don't have a lot of side effects at all, but they, and they're also weight neutral. Uh, the SGLT2 inhibitors promote weight loss uh, because they make you pee out sugar. Uh, but because they make you urinate out sugar, that actually can lead to yeast infections. Um, there's another type of medicine called GLP-1s that most people inject on a weekly basis. Uh, hopefully, we're soon going to have an oral formulation of a GLP-1 so people don't have to inject those. Uh, they are also currently very expensive, uh, but they're good because they actually help with, uh, you know, sort of the physiology of diabetes and help people feel fuller and also lose weight. And then, of course, we all know about insulin. So sometimes even the type 2 diabetics need insulin to control their sugar, especially if their hemoglobin A1C gets really high or if they're not watching their carbs close enough. So the best and safest types of insulin are what we call peakless or long-acting insulin, and those are fairly expensive. So you have to look for uh, options for those to make bring the cost down, things like patient assistance programs, or a lot, a lot of the insurances will cover it. And the goal for all patients should be to stay off as much medication as possible by doing the other things we've talked about on the show. So that's both safer for you and it's a whole lot less expensive. All right. Thanks, Doc. Coming up, we're going to go over some other things that you can do to help prevent or improve your diabetes. And of course, our Access Health Radio's Trivia of the Week is on the way. Welcome back to Access Health Radio. I'm Mike Davis. And as always, Dr. Brian Forrest, board-certified family physician from Apex, is here today. We're talking diabetes and ways to prevent or improve it. You've already mentioned several things, Dr. Forrest. What are some other things that we can do? First of all, you need to move. When you mm. exercise, you burn carbs and sugar off without having to use as much insulin. Sometimes I'll actually encourage patients that if they do eat a high-carb meal, they should try to exercise within about an hour of that to help minimize the amount that meal is going to raise their blood sugar. Also, building muscle helps increase the amount of sugar and carbohydrates that your body can burn and raises your metabolism for hours after you exercise. Typically, I'll recommend to people at least 150 minutes of aerobic exercise per week divided into at least two or more days. And by aerobic, I mean exercise that's intense enough to make you breathe a little faster than normal, where it would be really tough to have a normal conversation with somebody. And besides exercise, the best thing you can do to help prevent or reverse diabetes is to lose weight. Even small 
small changes like one pound of weight loss per month have been shown to be able to prevent diabetes. That's only 12 pounds a year. So there are lots of other benefits to weight loss as well, but this has been one of the most significant things that you can do without having to take medication. For example, in some studies, patients that were taking lots of medication for diabetes that had weight loss surgery were able to completely get off of all their medication and essentially cure their diabetes. Uh, So weight loss surgery is not the best answer for most people, but naturally losing weight with diet and exercise can work in the same way. So we will be uh, covering effective ways to lose weight in future episodes of the show, but in general, having a calorie limit or budget each day and knowing how many calories you consume are the key ingredients. It seems like so many things come back to uh, losing weight. That's, uh, that is good to know. All right, Doc, what are some keys to take away from today's show about diabetes, type 2 especially? First, make sure you know what your hemoglobin A1C is so that you know really where you stand as it relates to diabetes. That's probably the most important number. And the nice thing is it's just it's just one single digit. And knowing that hemoglobin A1C gives you tons of information about, you know, if you're on your way to diabetes, if you already have diabetes, if your diabetes is well controlled, or if you even need to worry about it at all right now. Because some people, you know, their A1C is, you know, 4.8 and they don't have any concerns at all. So the second would be keep your carbs and sugar intake restricted to a carb budget of between 60 and 150 grams of carbohydrate maximum per day for most people. Uh, Third, it's really important that you move, uh, park farther from the store, uh, schedule at least 150 minutes per week of aerobic activity, make sure you try to include some type of resistance training to build and tone muscle. You know, that doesn't have to be weightlifting. You can use uh, therapeutic bands or they look like giant rubber bands or elastics. Uh, A lot of them uh, are very useful in helping to work out and prevent injury while you sort of build some muscle. Uh, So that's sort of another good way you can do it. And lastly, weight loss to the point where your waist size is less than half of your height in inches at a rate of at least one pound per month can absolutely help prevent diabetes or even in some cases resolve it. So let me say that formula one more time. So what you want for, for medical purposes, again, you're not worried about, uh, you know, magazine covers or things like that. You're not, <laughs> you're not trying to, to run a marathon. But in terms of weight loss for medical purposes, what you're trying to do is get your waist size, comfortably your waist size, less than half of your height in inches. So if you're six feet tall, that'd be 72 inches inches, you want your waist size to be 36 or less. And for weight loss, you know, losing at least one pound a month looks like it'll take care of the problem. Very good. I know folks are going to have a lot of questions uh, about today's topic. Dr. Forrest, uh, where can people get more information after the show? If listeners want to send general non-emergent questions uh, or possibly have their question even answered on the show on one of our mailbag shows, uh, they can go to Facebook at Access Health. They can also send mail to accesshealthradio at gmail.com with their contact information. If they want information about our practice in Apex, they can go to acchealth.com. That's A-C-C-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. Phone number there is 919-363-0190. And after the show, they will also be able to listen to an on-demand podcast at WPTF.com. 
Hey, I almost forgot. We got to sneak in our Access Health Trivia of the Week. That's right. Did you know that the name Diabetes Mellitus translates to sweet urine in Latin? Doctors a long time ago (laughs) used to actually taste the urine of patients and could identify sugar in the urine of patients with diabetes. I am sure glad that we have more modern testing techniques now. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you are. Oh, So uh, finally, Doc, how, uh, how can patients be the doctor? Well, all of what we've talked about today relies on people being their own doctor, doing things that may prevent them from needing medication in the first place. And although I'm a doctor of medicine, I frequently tell my patients that if possible, I would prefer they not take any medicine at all. Our bodies have a great capacity to heal themselves, and they are created that way. As the Bible says in Proverbs 139, 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Thanks again for listening to the Access Health Show. We look forward to joining you again next Sunday at 4 p.m. Until then, God bless your health.